Man, I took my family to Gatlinburg on fall break camping. I don't know if you went anywhere on fall break. Maybe you did a staycation. Maybe you went somewhere. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you're back. Whatever you did, I hope you had fun. We went camping. And, you know, we grew up about an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half from Gatlinburg. And so we was there all the time. And we, we just don't really go back much anymore. And we had a blast. One of the things that Amy, uh, my wife, wanted to do was take our kids and go to Dollywood, what I call is the first level of hell, right? And so, uh, I mean, it's, it's not just specifically Dollywood. I think all amusement parks are hell on earth. I really do. I mean, I'm not an amusement park guy. Think about it. It's long lines, screaming kids, pushing and shoving, the smell of sweat, wooden roller coaster, $50 funnel cakes, hell on earth, right? And so, but it's for the kids, and so we went. We had a great time. We took a lot of pictures, but, you know, some of the funny pictures that we took were those of our kids, and you know those, those uh, headless frames? You, you've seen those, right? Those headless frames where you put your head in there. Matter of fact, I, I got a picture of uh, my son, and uh, uh, my son's on the left, and then Matthew uh, Bullen is on the right, Peyton's son, he's on the right, and so there they are having a, man, these, these pictures are so funny. You've probably got pictures like this. They're funny. The reason they're funny is because the head doesn't match the body. Right? I mean, that's the whole, it's a mismatch. Well, here, here, I showed you this because I'm using it as a diving board to jump into what I'm talking about today. And uh, the Bible says Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And that's a beautiful analogy used in Scripture. The only problem with it is us. Uh, sometimes we, as the church, because we live in a broken world, obviously, but we, the, the, the picture we give of the, to, of the church to the world is that the body doesn't match the head. Now, we can never perfectly match the head because we do live in a broken world. But, man, sometimes it's such a mismatch that it causes the world to almost go, <laughs> what is that, right? And so, so what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to talk about some aspects of the church that are very important, basic aspects. These are basic, okay? We could talk about the church forever. Uh, to be honest, many, many, many weeks. We're going to talk about it for four weeks. We're going to talk about some basic aspects of the church that I believe are misunderstood or not fully understood. And we're going to talk about them because I, I believe not understanding these things cause the head and the body to be a complete mismatch and causes the world to look and be confused about who we are, okay? And so we're going to call this series, We Are, right? We are Marshall. Actually, we are the church. But what we're going to do each week is we're going to declare we are something. And today, we're going to declare we are members. And we're going to talk about church membership. And here's the question. Is membership necessary? Is membership biblical? Should you belong to a church? These are really pertinent questions, relevant questions in today's world, uh, not just with millennials, but even people who are older than the millennial generation, definitely people who are younger, because many people don't believe in church membership. I, I, a few weeks ago, as I was preaching, I made a comment about membership being biblical. I don't even know what I was preaching on, but somehow that was worked into the message, and, and I had a sweet sister come back, and she was like very confused. It's like, what, what you said membership's biblical, and I don't, I don't believe membership's biblical. And so, you know, I, I actually I had to go preach. And so Kyle was talking with her a little bit as I come to preach, but my, the, he, he, it, it didn't surprise me because I get it all the time. People uh, don't understand the importance or the necessity of church membership or even think it's biblical. And what makes it even more confusing is we live in a, a, a day and age in which a lot of churches are pulling membership or they're so, sort of dumbing it down. It, it, what I would say dumbing it down, watering it down, diluting it by saying, man, we, we don't care if you're a member or not. We're just glad you're here. 
right? When it sounds cool and it sounds good and, and, and everything, but it, I, I don't think it's biblical. And, and we're going to talk about today why church membership is biblical. And if you're a member of the church, uh, man, I hope that, that you begin to understand the responsibilities of that, along with the privileges. And if you're not a member of the church, maybe you're not a member of the church because you've had questions about whether it is necessary and biblical. Some of you are not members of the church, to be quite honest with you, because, man, you've been there before and uh, you've had bad experience, okay? And I promise you, if you've been around and been a part of a church for any length of time, you've been hurt or disillusioned, right? I have. I'm just going to tell you, I have. Uh, I mean, some of you have been a part of uh, political struggles and churches maybe, power struggles and uh, in, in churches. Some of you maybe have been hurt by harsh leadership. And, and you know, I, I promise you, if you have not been hurt or disillusioned in some way, had a bad experience in church, I mean, it just means you haven't been around church much, okay? I mean, I have, we all have. If I ask you to raise your hand, you would raise your hand. As a matter of fact, uh, if, if we haven't let you down in some way, that just means you haven't been here long enough, Right? And listen, I, I, I'm still holding out. I've got about 35 minutes more message to go, so I can probably do it in the next 35 minutes, all right? My point is this. Uh, churches are going to let you down. I mean, we, we're not perfect people. I, I'm not a perfect pastor. There is no such thing, and churches are messy, right? I mean, I mean, churches are, 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 are sometimes messy, and, and because of that, some of you are like, man, I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, don't want to really be a part of another house of pain, right? And I understand that. But what you need to understand is, is, is churches are messy. I, I, I get that. It's, it's, like, it's like a family, right? Uh, I mean, families are, are, are messy. Uh, and families are beautiful and families are great, but they're also messy. Uh, I mean, if, if, if the church is healthy and if the church is done right, then that means there's some mature believers in the church. I look out today and I see some mature believers in our midst. I see people who are much more mature than me. I see people who are, uh, you know, uh, along in the, in the spectrum. I mean, you're maturing. But I also see baby Christians, you know, and a baby Christian is not a brand new infant. You know, they've not, they don't even understand yet. A baby Christian can be a 40-year-old man or woman who's just given their life to the Lord, and I see some of them. We have those in our church. Every church that's healthy should have baby Christians and infant Christians and children, uh, spiritual children and spiritual adolescents, Right? So if you understand that and you've had children, you go back and you think about your babies. They're messy, aren't they? I mean, man, they require your constant care. They're always like, man, it's stressful because, I mean, it's always changing a diaper. They're spit up everywhere. They're messing their britches several times a day, all right? I mean, it's like they don't care about, they could care less about what you think. It's like they're not interested in you. If it's in the middle of the night and I'm hungry, get out of the bed and get me something to eat. Right? I mean, I mean, if I'm wet, get up and change me. I mean, they don't really think about anybody but themselves, right? As they become children, man, I mean, they get a little better, but I mean, they're cruel. Man, they say the cruelest things to other kids, right, and to adults. I mean, as they become adolescents, then all of a sudden they become a lot smarter than you. They know more than you, right? I mean, and this is spiritual progression and what happens, and church is full of all these, and that's the church. It's messy, it, it, it's not always perfect because there's no perfect people in the church. As a matter of fact, it's always been messy. You know, the first church wasn't. The very first church, when we go to Acts 2 and we see the birth of the church, it wasn't a perfect church. Far from it. That's why all the letters, and that's what, what's happening in the letters as Paul's straightening out a lot of that. Matter of fact, just read First and Second Corinthians. I mean, man, what you're going to see is Paul wrote a letter to the church in the city of Corinth, and it was off the charts crazy. I mean, it was gone wild. 
I mean, they were doing things in the church that was making people who didn't even know Jesus blush. Imagine that, right? I mean, that was what was going on in the church. And so Paul wrote to that church, I mean, just tearing them out to frame for what they were doing because it was a messy church. It's always been messy. But even though the church is messy, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mess because it's the family. It's, it, it's the, the organization that God created uh, to be the family where his children would grow into spiritual maturity, right? I mean, the church is where God created to be the body, to be this family where you would come to know him and be a part of this family that would help you be nourished, would help you uh, uh, discipline, nourishment, care, shepherding, all those would take place within the body so that you would grow up into maturity and then serve the body, not just want to get from the body, but become an active part of serving the body for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. That's the, the, the beautiful mess of the church, all right? And so, so I want you to understand that because today what happens is a lot of people say, because of the mess, a lot of people say, well, you know what, maybe you've heard this, okay? I've heard it so many times. Uh, some of you might have even said it, it uh, you know, something like this. You know, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. You heard that? I mean, uh, or you don't have to go to church, just be the church. Man, those things sound pretty good, to be honest with you. They sound like, oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, but the only thing is, not only are they wrong, they're antichrist. You say, well, that's, that's a little strong, antichrist. They are antichrist. Why? Because Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he died to purchase the church with his blood. Okay? The church is important to Jesus. He died to purchase the church. It's important. It's his bride. That's what he calls the church, the bride of Christ. Okay? So the church is very important. Uh, uh, Cyprian of Carthage, who was one of our early church fathers, he said the church is so important that you cannot have God as your father and not have the church as your mother. Okay? That's the importance of the church. Now, people say, okay, Pat, I get you. I get you. Uh, it's cool. But you know what? I, I think what the New Testament's talking about when we talk about church, it's the universal church, right? The invisible church. I mean, man, it's, uh, we can put some perfume on it. Mate. And, and, and listen, I, 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 I think there is such a thing as a universal church, meaning people who are believers in Jesus Christ throughout all of history, right? I mean, you've got the universal church would be, uh, let's say, from Acts 2, when the church was born, if you, when it began to be to the church, the church was born. You got uh, all, all people. Paul's a part of the universal church. Moses is part of, you know, I, I mean, all these people are part of the universal church. My granddaddy was part of the universal church. I'm a part of the universal church. And I, I, I'm cool with that because here's what it means. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're, you become a member of the family of God. That means that believers in Thailand, so, uh, uh, someone who submits their life to Jesus in Thailand, that's my brother and that's my sister. That means that believers in Africa, that's my brother and that's my sister. That means I can't just turn my head when things are happening to my brothers and my sisters in countries that are just because they're not here and, and they're not a part of my country. I have to be uh, concerned about my brothers and my sisters all over the world because they're a part of my family. So yes, in that sense, we are the universal church. But here's the issue. The, the Bible specifically talks about local churches. That's churches made up of gatherings or assemblies of specific groups of people in specific geographic locations, okay? Think about the New Testament for a moment and Paul's letters. When Paul wrote the New his letters to the New Testament, many of them were written to local churches. When he wrote to the Corinthians, 
1 and 2 Corinthians, he was writing to the church in Corinth. When he wrote to Galatians, he was writing to the church in Galatia. Thessalonians is to the church in Thessalonica. Ephesians is to the church in Ephesus, right? And on and on. He, he wrote churches to pastors like Timothy and Philemon about the church issues and church matters and how you lead the church. So uh, what we see is in the New Testament, you've got the word, the Greek word for church is the word ecclesia. It's the word ecclesia, and it, it means called out ones, uh, gathering assembly of called out ones, and it, it is used 114 times in the New Testament, this word. Out of those 114 times, 90 of those 114 times, which is a pretty significant uh, majority, 90 of 114 times is used to refer to a local assembly of believers, not in a universal sense, but a local church. So here's what we see and what we know from the New Testament. You're not going to find the New Testament. You're not going to find the phrase or the word where Paul or, or anyone says, join a church, become a member of the church. You will not find that phrase. But you will also not find the, the, the word Trinity in the New Testament, okay? But just because the New Testament doesn't have the word Trinity, uh, we obviously know the reality it's, it, 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 of the Trinity. The, uh, the, the word or, or the phrase join a church is not explicitly uh, called out in the New Testament, but church membership is implicit all over the New Testament. Okay, And I could use many, many, many different verses to prove that. Uh, matter of fact, I could use so many verses that you'd walk away with your head swimming. I'm going to zero in on one. All right, and we're going to talk through one because what I want you to understand is the biblical nature of church membership and how it is implied that the commands of Scripture cannot be uh, carried out apart from church membership, apart from membership in a local body. All right, I'll use one passage and then a supplemental passage uh, under one of the points. And so, so let, let's look at the book of, of uh, uh, Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer of Hebrews uh, says this, obey your leaders, obey your leaders. Now, he's writing to followers of Jesus Christ. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to everyone in the world. Uh, he's writing to people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. So if, he is, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, he's writing to you. Okay, not just in that specific time, but we believe God's word is, uh, is, is absolute truth, good for all people, all places, all times, written to you as well as to the audience that it was written to. Understanding the context and applying that context into your life. And so he's writing, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here's what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews, he gives a command to believers, and he basically uh, admonishes and, 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 and he gives a command to believers and a, and a word, uh, a sobering word to pastors and elders. So let, let's talk for a moment about the command he gives to believers. He tells, what does he tell believers to do? He says, obey your leaders and submit to your leaders. Now, when he's talking about leaders here, he's talking about leaders within the church. He's not talking about leaders in general. We are commanded in Scripture to obey authorities that are placed over us. 
uh, meaning governmental authorities, as long as those authorities do not contradict the word of God, we are to obey and submit to governmental authorities, to authorities in school, to authorities as your parents, to authorities, uh, you know, in your workplace. You are to submit as a good Christian to authorities that have been placed over you as long as that authority does not contradict the word of God, Okay. And if you're a rebel against authority, good authority, then that's not being a good follower of Jesus Christ as long as that authority is not contradictory to the Word of God, okay? This is not that. This is talking specifically church. It's talking about church leaders. It's talking about pastors and elders. So he says that Christians should submit to their leaders who have watch over their souls, okay? Now, here's the question that I would beg. The question I'm asking you, if you would come in today and you would say, well, I don't know if church membership is necessary. I don't think that church membership is biblical. Then let me ask you, how would you submit or who are you going to submit to? You have got to obey the scripture. So the question is not, well, I don't know if I need to submit to church leaders or not. I don't know if I need to submit to pastors. That's not the question. The word says it, we do it. You see, uh, you've heard the old saying, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm going to tell you to throw that out, that's wrong, okay? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If God said it, that settles it, okay? And so God said it, that settles it. And God told Christians to submit to pastors and elders. And so, therefore, if church membership is not biblical, if it's not necessary, who are you going to submit to? Does that mean that you submit to anyone with the word pastor or elder in front of their name. You submit to Pastor Jim just because he got pastor in front of his name. Maybe he's a self-proclaimed pastor. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he got ordained on the Internet, and he says, I'm a pastor, right? I mean, people do crazy things today, right? I mean, do you submit to anybody and everyone with the word pastor or elder before their name? Or do you submit to the pastor who is a prosperity uh, uh, pastor who believes that and tells you that if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith? If you just have more faith, then you'll be healed. You gonna to submit to that? Or if, if you have enough faith and you won't have any financial problems, are you gonna to submit to that? I, I mean, if there's no such thing as church membership, you're, you've gotta submit to pastors, so does that mean you submit to the health and wealth and prosperity pastor? Does that mean you submit to the pastor that says, hey, you gotta be baptized in order to be saved? Because if you're not baptized, because there are pastors uh, who teach that baptism is essential to salvation. Are, are you gonna to submit to that pastor? Man, are, are you going to submit to the Pope? The Pope who says, uh, you know, I mean, you can, you can really buy forgiveness. Oh, oh, you're a sin? Oh, I hate that you're sin, but if you'll give me for only $99.99, you can have that sin forgiven today. It's called an indulgence. You think I'm funny? It's called an indulgence, and you can buy forgiveness by giving a little money. You're going to submit to that? Boy, I mean, that would be, some of us would like to. Oh, that'd be easy, wouldn't it? Uh, I, I mean, are, are you going to submit to that? You know, what about these people that show up at your door with white shirts and black neckties that's got elder, elder Smith in front of their, on, on their uh, name tag, elder Smith. You know, in other words, Mormons. Now here's what I want you to understand. So far I've talked about some, some Mormons are not a denomination, a Christian denomination. They're a cult. Okay. And that might go, what? Uh, that, they're a cult. I mean, I know it looks nice and all that, but, uh, it, they're not a Christian denomination just so you know, but they've got the word elder in front of their name. And, and so does that mean you submit to them? Because you do know that they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. 
You, you do know that they, they t- that if you are, if you're married and you have a wife and that wife goes, and if you're married, you got a wife or, or, or a husband, I guess. But if, you're, if your wife says, you know what, I, I, I met this guy today and he told me about, uh, the, the, uh, opened the scripture to me and I, I don't want to be a Mormon anymore. And the leadership would say, you need to leave her and get you a good Mormon wife. You're going to submit to that? Who are you going to submit to? See, what, I, what I'm trying to help you to understand is the scripture explicitly not just implicitly, it explicitly says that Christians should submit to spiritual authority, their pastors and elders. So my question is, without church membership, who would you submit to? Now, here's what I want you to also understand. That's not blind submission, folks. That is called a cult. Blind, it's not blind submission. That doesn't mean, oh, Pat said it, I got to do it. That's, that, that, that's dangerous, okay? That means that you submit to pastors who preach God's word and what they say lines up with God's word. That's who you submit to. That means that when a pastor's preaching the gospel, for the, preaching the word of God for the glory of God that lines up with the word of God, that's what you submit to, not just blind submission, okay? So what, what I submit to you is this. If there's no such thing as church membership or if it's not biblical, then either Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 is either a general command for all believers to submit to anyone with the word pastor in front of their name, Lord, I hope not, okay? Or it is a command for believers to submit to the authority of the pastors and elders in the local congregation that God has called you to be a part of, okay? And so there, that, that, so there we see a very implicit, it's impossible to obey this command apart from church membership, okay? So, so, so he, he told believers, the command for believers is to submit to pastors and elders, but then he also gave a sobering word to pastors. And what was that word? Pastors are accountable for those they lead. Pastors and elders are accountable for those they lead. The Bible clearly, explicitly tells me that, you know, that's why it says that those who, uh, you know, uh, desire for the calling of a pastor better really consider it. And, and, and the bottom line is, is the Bible explicitly tells me that I'm going to be held accountable before God for how I lead you, right? And I take that very seriously. That's why I promise that I will never knowingly preach less than God's word or more than God's word, Okay. Meaning some of you who are legalists, some people who would be more legalistic in nature would get mad because I won't say some of the things that legalists say the Bible says because the Bible doesn't say those things. I'm never going to go more than what the Bible says because I'm going to be held accountable for that. But I'm never going to go less than what the Bible says. Okay? Knowingly. And if I ever do, I promise I will come back and repent of that and tell you that it was a mistake. Because I will be held accountable for that. And the one thing that I don't want to do is stand before the Lord and, and have to answer for not leading you properly. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? I will not be accountable for how you submit. I will be accountable for how I lead, but not how you submit. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for putting that in there. Because, because let me give you an example, okay? I'm very clear on uh, what Scripture says about issues that pertaining to your holiness and your walk with the Lord, right? I'm, for instance, I've been very clear about drunkenness, right? I'm not going to go further than the Bible says and say that alcohol is evil because the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus drank wine, and so I, I'm not going to say that because it's not true. It's not that, that, that alcohol is evil. That would be going further than what the Bible says. That's my point. But also, the Bible does is very clear, explicit on drunkenness, right? 
And so therefore, if you were to, I'm clear about that. So if you were to wake up somewhere with a lampshade on your head, look down and, and, and all of a sudden you've got a tramp stamp of Yosemite Sam with his six shooters on one side and Tweety Bird on the other and have no clue where you are, how you got that, I'm not responsible for that. I'm not going to answer for that. Now, when you stand before the Lord, he is definitely going to judge you harshly for having a Tweety Bird and Yosemite Sam tattoo. <laughs> okay? But... I'm not going to answer for that. So my point is this. I'm not going to answer for how you submit, but I will answer for how I lead. That's why I will never go further than the Word says, or I will never go less than what the Word says. But the, but, but the question begs itself then, it's the same question to you. If there's no church membership, who are you submit to? If there's no church membership, who am I responsible for? Am I responsible for the person watching online right now from, you know, uh, 10,000 miles away. We got people watching in states all over the country and in countries all over the world. We are absolutely thrilled you're watching. Okay? We are thrilled that you're watching. We put this online to get the word out, to get the message out, to help. But listen, it's not meant to be a church membership deal, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know half the people or more, more. I don't know many, many, many people watching. I've never met them. They've never met me. Am I responsible for someone I've never met? It's not a, that, that's not a church membership thing, right? We love online. Thank you for watching. But that's not like, okay, they're under the authority of that. So am I responsible? Who am I responsible for then? Am I responsible for everybody who calls themselves Christian in Middle Tennessee? Because I'm in Middle Tennessee, and anybody that's Christian in Middle Tennessee, I'm responsible. Does that mean I'm responsible for the person who goes to a church in Murfreesboro with a pastor that spews hate against homosexuals, and, and then, which then dictates how people treat homosexuals? I hope not, right? And so, 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 so the point is here, I, I, I'm not responsible for every Christian in Middle Tennessee. I'm responsible for the people that God has called to join the church in whom he has called me to lead, right? That's whom I'm responsible for. I mean, you know, you're not responsible when you're, you, you can understand it maybe like this. You're not responsible for your, raising your neighbor's kids, now, I believe we're all our brother's keeper, okay? I, I do believe we're all our brother's keeper, so we have a responsibility to be involved in the lives, and I've said it takes a church and all that kind of stuff. We'll be responsible for the church and how we train and teach our kids. I understand that. But you know what? When it comes down to it as a dad, I'm not going to answer for the decisions I make uh, or for the decisions my neighbor makes for their kids. I, I, that, that, I, I'm going to help them, but I'm not going to be held accountable. Why didn't you go into that, you know, and, and raise those kids better? I will, however be responsible for how I raise my kids. When I stand before the Lord, and when you stand before the Lord as a dad and as a mom, you will answer for how you raise your kids, as I will answer for how I raise my kids, and I will answer for how I led the church. You will answer for that, right? I, I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear. And, and so, so I, I, therefore, every dad who knows that I'll be responsible, man, that's why it's important for me to pour pour the things of God into my kids. That's why it's important for me to love my kids and, and, and to nurture my kids and to help my kids grow. And also it's important to discipline my kids, right? I mean, man, you ever seen a child running around that you absolutely know there is no discipline in that child's life? I mean, that, that mom and dad doesn't discipline that child. You've seen that child. That kid's running around and act like he's born in Eastern Kentucky or something, right? I mean, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, I, nobody wants to be around that kid. Nobody wants to be around that kid. Discipline's important, right? Not because, man, we don't like our kids, because we love our kids. Well, listen, here's the same with the church. In, in a church, I'll answer for how I nurture you, shepherd you, teach you, train you, and discipline. 
Did you realize that? Nobody likes to talk about discipline. Nobody likes to really talk about it because, oh, it's, we should just love one another. Well, listen, if I really love my child, I'm going to discipline my child. One of the most unloving things you can do is not discipline your child. Unloving things for your child and for everybody else around your child. Right? And so one of the most loving things we do is discipline in, in, in church. Right? That's the importance of church membership. As a matter of fact, I, I want to I read to you Matthew 18. Matthew verse 18 Here's what it says. It is the go-to passage on church discipline. This is my supplemental passage. It's the go-to passage on church discipline. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two, brother, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Wow, that's some sobering words because here, here's what it says. Jesus, as we're talking here, the go-to passage on church discipline says this. If you got a brother in sin... If I see a brother in sin, I'm to go to that brother privately, personally, and confront him on his sin. Now, that, that, this, is, this is, you know, it's just loaded because here's what it says. You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, when you say, hey, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. And somebody says, you can't judge me. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, that person is either not a believer or they're an immature believer who doesn't know the word because the Bible says Christians should judge other Christians, okay? You, you gotta get this. Judgment is biblical, Christians judging other Christians. Not the world. We are not to judge the world and about their behavior, right? But if I can't obey this command. The Bible says to do it. The Bible says if I look and I see a sin in your life that's blatant sin that you're walking in, that I should confront you according to that sin. I can't come and confront you according to that sin without making a judgment that your action or attitude was sinful. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just Christians should do this more, right, in a loving manner. It's not free license to go blaze people. This is in a loving biblical manner. And so, so you can't do that without making judgments about someone's behavior. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to say this. People who don't want to be judged probably need to be judged. Just saying, okay? Now, you got to understand there's righteous judgment and there's unrighteous judgment. Okay? The Bible commands one, condemns the other. Righteous judgment is when I judge according to to the scripture. Unrighteous judgment is when I judge according to my opinion. Righteous judgment is when Jesus is the standard. Unrighteous judgment is when I'm the standard. Okay? And so when I come to you, if I see that you're living in blatant whatever sin it would be, man, you're a habitual liar. Uh, you know, you're living in some kind of sexual sin as we see in Corinthians. You're, you're I, I don't know, whatever sin it is. And I come to you and you say, you can't judge me. And I say, no, bro, I didn't. The scripture did. God did. It's right here. Read it. Right? This is, this is the standard, not my opinion. Right? And so, so, so the righteous judgment is commanded in scripture. Go to your brother. Right? Unrighteous judgment is condemned in the scripture. And Christians need to understand that because that's how we as family help one another become more like Christ, right? And so, so when, we're, when, we're, when we're looking here at Scripture, here, here's what I'll say. And think about, here's what, here's what the, the passage tells us. Okay, you go to that brother personally, privately. doesn't say to go to, you know, oh, I see a brother in sin. 
man, I'm going to get, I got to get on, I got to send out a group text to all my small group. Pray for them. They're saying this or they're doing this. No, it's called gossip. And sometimes we use prayers gossip, right? I mean, it says go to that person personally and privately. Go to them. Hey, bro. Hey, brother, listen. I, I see that you're doing this. Help me to understand this because this is against God's word. And, you know, and here's what happens. When you do that, sometimes a brother typically will have a little defensiveness to him, right? I mean, you come to me and confront me about something, my first reaction is like, huh, you know? And, and then, but if I'm mature, then I'll begin to understand, okay, help me. You, what, what, what? Man, and then I'll eventually I'll say, man, thank you. I mean, that, you know, that, you're correct about that, right? But the immature brothers, will, that's when they throw up, hey, you can't judge me, right? And so then what do you do? Well, that's when the Bible says then you get two or three brothers, and then you go back to that individual with two or three brothers so that two or three brothers cannot gang up on them, but so that there can be evidence and witness of two or three brothers going, hey, bro, what are you doing here? It's wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be saying those things, Right? Watch it. You can't be doing that. And then if he doesn't listen, you bring him before the church. And what do you do? If he doesn't listen when you bring him before the church, you, 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 you treat him as a Gentile, a tax collector. Kick him out. You say, what? Now, you, you kick him out. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You're talking about kicking people out of church? You're like, are, is that, are, are you kidding me? I thought this was supposed to be a loving place. Yes, there's no love with no discipline. Okay? Now, you got, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said the same thing. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, uh, they were allowing a, a, a man to live in a blatant public sexual relationship with his dad's wife. Hopefully, it wasn't his mama, okay? That would have been even a different level, but it was with his dad's wife. Blatant sexual public relationship with his dad's wife. And they were allowing it to happen, not saying anything to him, actually celebrating it as grace. God's grace. Paul absolutely run the score upon him for that. I mean, he's like, what are you doing? You can't be letting a church member live in blatant public sin and celebrating it. You should be absolutely mourning this. You bring him in, he says, excommunicate him, kick him out. Not just, uh, you know, uh, confront him about it, but kick him out. Now, People go, oh, my goodness, you're talking about kicking. No, I, I didn't think the church was like that. I thought the church was gracious. And listen, here's what you got to understand. See, we, under, we misunderstand church discipline because it's just not practiced much today. Okay? The kicking, removing someone is not the end. Removing someone is not the end. That's a means to the end. Removing someone is to redeem someone. It's to awaken someone. It's to hopefully have that person go, oh, wow. I need the community of the fellowship. I need to get my act together. I'm acting like a fool. I, I, forgive me. I, I need you. You know, it, it, the means is redemption, right? I mean, that's what, that's what you discipline your kids for, right? It's, 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 it's redemption. You, you don't discipline your kids because you hate your kids and you just want to beat them. If you do, man, we got problems and we need to talk to you, okay? It's not like, I'm just going to whoop you. That's the end. Bam, right? It's not like, hey, you're going to time out. Get over there. Why? I don't know. Just, just I want you in time out. That's not the end. You put somebody in time out because you want them to change something. It's redemption, right? This happened. I've had five kids. Believe me, I've had to do this a lot. My oldest son who's sitting, sitting in here today, he, man, was an absolute joy. He, he was a joy to raise. I mean, some of you, man, you, you've, you've seen him raised up. He, uh, when we moved to this church, I think he was uh, 
seven years old or, or, or seven or eight years old, and you watched him grow up, and he was a joy to race. Uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, man, he was a joy. We'd go on vacation. He'd beg to come back to go, go to church, so he'd go to church, not miss church on vacation. Man, that's when you know you, you got a church, that uh, a youth ministry, and a children that your kids want to be a part of. You got people. It takes a church. That's awesome, right? I mean, it was awesome. He loved it. He did. I mean, man, he was a joy to race. Man, he went to college, and he absolutely lost his ever-loving mind. He'll tell you, he lost his mind. The wheels flew off. All of a sudden, he was like, I, I've been telling my dad I'm smarter than him. Now I can prove it. He was like, man, I, I'm tired of being a PK. I've been a preacher's kid all my life. i got to figure my own identity out here. And the wheels flew off, man. I mean, he went into this period of rebellion it's a part of his testimony. You can ask him. He's sitting right back there. He, he went into this period of rebellion that was dark. I mean, man, it, it was littered with all, what, anything you can imagine, okay? And it was breaking his mama's heart. I mean, I would watch his mama weep. Man, I would pray for him. I would, I would man, I would want to strangle him. I would, all those, you've been there as a dad, right? I mean, it was hard. And, and you know, it got to the point to where I finally had to write up a contract a contract, and at this time, he's about 19-year-old. He's living with us, supposed to be in school, skipping out school half the time and, you know, and all this stuff. And I had to write up a contract, and I ca we called it a contract of redemption. And he had to do, in order to stay in our home and, and do that, he had to do this, 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 this. And it was like, I mean, we're not talking about you have to, you know, do 45 chores. It's like respect mommy, <laughs> right? We're talking about JV base level stuff here. Act like a human being, Right, I mean, uh, and so, but it was it was contrary. You have to do this, 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 this. You don't do this, you can no longer live here. So you know, the day came, and he was very disrespectful to mom. Mom talks to dad. Dad comes home. I had to kick him out. I had to say, son, you're no longer welcome in this house. You're no longer welcome here. You've got to leave. And listen, you will not come back in this house if I'm not here. If you come back in this house, I will have you arrested if I'm not here. Do you understand me? Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Now, I, you know why I did that? Because I, I hated my son, and I, I was the end of him, and I wanted him gone, right? No, I did it because I wanted to redeem my son. I wanted to awaken my son. I, I, I had a responsibility to leave my family, but I love my son, and I want him to awaken to what God had for him. I want him to redeem his soul. I didn't want him to die, and where he was heading was sure death, believe me. I don't know how he's alive today. It was sure death, and I wanted to redeem him. Now, I'll stand before you today, and, man, I'm telling you that praise the Lord, and I know, man, it, God answered those prayers, and because of all that, I mean, God brought him back, and man, eventually he was able to move back in. God called him to mission, not only back to himself, but called him to mission. He went on the mission field where he met his wife, where I've now got grandkids. It loves the Lord, productive member of our church. It's awesome, right? Now, that's a, that's a huge, huge blessing of the Lord, but I tell you that because that's what church discipline is. It's not the end. We don't discipline because we enjoy it. We discipline. Nobody enjoys discipline. That's what the Bible says. But without it, we don't grow. Let me ask you something. How can you exercise church discipline on someone that's not a member of your church? Can I just go spank my, my neighbor's, whatever, spank, discipline, whatever? Can I go discipline my neighbor's child? 
Not in today's world. In days gone by, in Mayberry you could probably. But not in today's world. Can I, I mean, listen, if my son is walking in my neighbor's yard and he picks one of his apples and all of a sudden I see my neighbor start spanking my kids, somebody else is getting ready to get spanked. I mean, you think my son's going to respond to that? You think my son's going to go, oh, I'm going to submit to his authority? No, what my son's going to probably do is fork his yard and TP his yard on Halloween, right? And I'm going to be there helping him, <laughs> tearing his wood pile down and everything else. He's not going to respond, but, but let me tell you something. When, when I see him picking an apple and I discipline him, he's going to respond to that. Or when his brother, his big brother, disciplines in him, in his family, he's going to respond to that. Because we have an authority to do that. We have a moral authority. We have a familial authority. That's what church membership is. How do you do those things without church membership? How do you do those things? Okay? So what I, what I hope that you see today is, is maybe you come in and you're saying, man, I, I, don't, I, 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 I love this church, but I've been a part of a house of pain before, and I don't really want to be a part of a house of pain again. I'm committed to you. Well, you know what? To be quite honest with you, that's like living with someone without marrying them. Right? I mean, today, it's, it's, it's really a huge trend. To, I mean, to be quite honest with you, in the world, and, and the church even follows suit with some of that, which is unbiblical, but in the world, here's what happens. People live together. Today, it, it, it's really customary. People live with two or three people before they even marry someone. And people live with someone, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you, right? I, I'm, I'm committed. Uh, no, you're not. Right? No, 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 we're committed to, we like the benefits, but we don't want the commitment. Oh, no, Pat, it's not about the commitment. I, I don't believe in the institution of marriage. I don't believe in the institution of marriage, which really means I'm afraid of commitment. That's what it means. I'm afraid of commitment. There's a commitment issue there. I think we would all agree with that. You can't date the church. You see, when you get married to someone, you're in a covenant relationship. And you know what a covenant relationship is? Man, when you're dating someone, I mean, really, I, I don't have a high level of commitment, you know, in dating. I've dated people. You, you know, you, if you're married before you dated people, right now you're single, you're dating people. I mean, you're committed, but you're not that committed, right? I mean, you can hit the eject button at any time. I mean, man, she doesn't do something, he doesn't do something that, that you like. I mean, you can say, I'm out at any time, right? That's dating. Commitment level way low. Expectations not as high. But, man, when you get married, you're in a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm with you. Even when I don't like you, even when it doesn't work for me, I, I, I'm not bolting. That's covenant. This is what I'm going to do no matter what you do. That's covenant. That's what church membership is, right? I mean, that's what church membership is. It's not dating. It's saying, hey, look, now, I, I think you need to, here's what I think you need to do. Some of you come in from another town, in another city, uh, in another state or whatever, or some of you around here, and you're coming, you say, I, I need to check this dude out. I mean, I need to check this pastor out. I mean, he talks a little funny. He talks really fast. He's a southerner, talks fast. Southerners normally talk slow. He talks really fast. You know, I mean, he says some things. It's like, oh, no, he didn't. Did he just say that? Uh, you you, you got to check out the pastor. I gotta, you got to check out the church. I understand that. But there comes a point where you got to make a commitment. It's time to fish or cut bait. Right, ladies? I mean, you've been in a relationship. You dating. You dating. Hey, hey guys, listen. You've been dating her for a while. I'm, you've been dating somebody for a year. It's time to fish or cut bait. If you're an adult, okay, it's time to fish or cut bait. I mean, and so uh, it, it's time to say, am I, is this the family God has called me to? 
Man, I, I, some of us are like spiritual orphans. I, I'm going to use every analogy I can here, and then I'm, I'm going to close out, all right? I'm going to use one more analogy, and I'm going to close out. You know, some of us are like spiritual orphans. You know, I've, I've told you I had five kids. Well, I've got, I've got two bio and three that I've adopted. And I went to the, to the orphanages, you know, of, of uh, two of the three. I was at their orphanage. And you know what? I, I'm telling you, some of you have been to orphanages in third world countries, and it's one of the absolute saddest things you'll ever see. I mean, there's just not enough people to take care of, of, the, of the kids, right? It's not that they necessarily don't want to. They can't. They, they don't have, they, they're overwhelmed. And so you've got kids that are running around, I mean, man, nose running and bleeding and, I mean, unchanged and dirty and, I mean, but no one to nourish them, no one to care for them, no one to, no one to discipline them, no one to steer them and help them make good decisions. And so therefore they grow up in that environment. And, and, and in some countries they age out at like 14. And when they age out at 14, most of them are dead by about 18 or 19 because they have nowhere to turn. They don't know what to do. Not, and it's the saddest thing. And you know what's just as sad? A Christian who's a spiritual orphan without a family. A Christian that says, man, I, 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 I don't have to go to church. I can be the church, right? I, I don't have to be, I, I, don't have to, I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Listen, God created you, and he saved you for his glory. And if he saved you, he saved you, and he created a, 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 this thing called the church, local church, in a local, congrega- a local congregation, in a specific location for you to join and Build his kingdom through that church. He will do it through you in that church so that you can have a place where you're nurtured, where you're cared for, where you're loved, where you're disciplined, where someone prays with you, prays for you, helps you, someone who helps you with your children. That's what he created the church to be so that you can become more like the head. Are you a member of a church? If not, if you've been coming here for a while and you know this is your place, it's time to commit, Okay? It's time to commit. So take that. If you'll, if you'll, if you'll take on the, uh, on the back of this, on the green section here, you'll see down halfway, how can we help you? One is commit my life to Christ. Let me tell you, you cannot be a member of this church if you're not a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ. That's a requirement. Okay? It's for believers. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, let's start there. We'll take care of the other later. Let's start with membership in the kingdom of God. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let today be the day. And here's what I want you to know, uh, that if the Holy Spirit is convicting you today, and I preach on membership and church discipline and all that stuff, then if the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, all right? So answer yes. All right, so you come and talk to us, and we'll tell you how to give your life to Jesus Christ. Start there. You see right under that, be baptized. Some of you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you've not yet been baptized because maybe you're afraid of water. Maybe you're afraid of crowds. Maybe you're afraid of what? It's time to overcome all that and say, Jesus said to do it. I'm going to do it because he said it. That settles it, right? And, and call us, let us know, email us today, email charity at charity.smith.org or call the church tomorrow and, and man, uh, someone will put you in touch with the person who will help you walk down that line. The, 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 the next is talk to someone. Man, you might need to talk to someone about anything, we'll help you. The, the, look at that, the fourth one, become a member. If you're not a member and you know that this is the place that God has put you, and you need to check that box and say, hey, I, I need to be a member of this church. And come and talk to us. I had people uh, after the last service come back and say, wow, man, I, I, needed, I needed to hear that, and I'm, I'm joining the church. Come back and talk to us. I, I want to join the church. Check that box. We'll call you. 
okay? Today, do that. If you are a member, thank you for being a member of this place. If you're not a member, let me, these who are can let you know. I'll let you down. I'm not a perfect pastor. You know, I'll not always say the right stuff. I'll not always give the right advice, right? Because I am, I, I, I am an imperfect human being. The brothers and sisters in this church will let you down because they're imperfect human beings. It's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. And we would love for you to be a part of it if you're not. And if you are, I want you to know it's a joy to be your pastor. This church is a beautiful church, and your fellowship is amazing, right? It's not blind. I would never ask you to submit blindly, and you don't. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the, the you know, here's what great. In, 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 uh, in Hebrews 13, when, when Paul is talking, here's what he said. And I think of you when he says this. You know, when he talks about obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And look, look, look at what it says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you know that in churches, I promise you this, there are church members in every church when the pastor see them come and he goes, ugh. Groaning. Don't be that person. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the writer's saying. Don't make the pattern. Oh, here he is. I want to thank this church for, for just not being that person. You know, it's a joy to be your pastor. And I love this place. And it's a joy to be the pastor of those of you who are members of this church. And, I, and you know what? I, some of you have been here for 25 years that I've been here. And I look at you and it's some of the sweetest memories of good times and of bad times and of covenant commitment that says, I'm with you, I'm in it. Unless we're preaching something that's, that's anathema, unless we're preaching something that's contrary to God's word, right, and we won't, uh, I, I'm in it. And that's some of the sweetest memories I've ever had. I want all of you to be a part of that. Pray with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the church. You created it. You established it. God, we live in a fallen world, and none of us are perfect, so the church can't be perfect. It's a mess, but, Lord, it's a beautiful mess. And, God, I pray, God, that today those who are members of this place would understand how valuable membership is. I pray that they would understand the privileges and the responsibilities of being members. I pray that they would understand, Lord, what an awesome, awesome privilege that we've been given to be a member of, of, of a church that you bought and purchased with your blood. I pray that we would serve one another, love one another, care for one another, nurture one another, shepherd one another, discipline one another, do everything we can to help each other become all we can be in Christ. God, I pray for those who are here today who are not members. God, maybe they're not members because they're not believers in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would save people today. God, there are those who are here who are, and maybe they're on the fence about membership. I pray that today they would see that church membership is implicit all through Scripture. And God, today I use one passage that you command, you command, give commands that cannot be accomplished apart from church membership. And Lord, I just pray that today they would say, you know what? God said it, that settles it, I need to do it. We love you. We thank you for adding to the church. Thank you that you add to the church as you see fit. And I know that there's going to be people who join today, and I believe that you have called them to be a member of this church. God, I know that we're not a church for everyone. God, everyone's welcome. And, Lord, this is a place. Lord, I pray that this is a safe place for people to hear a dangerous message. God, but we know that everyone is not created and saved to be a part of this local fellowship. God, there are others. I pray that they would 
Lord, commit somewhere and build your kingdom. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.